Thank you. Uh, good morning for all of you on Daylight Savings. It's always a brutal morning, especially if you have young kids, because they still wake up at the same time and still feel like you lose an hour. Uh, at least I did this morning. My kids were still up early and went to bed later than normal. So uh, that's life, I guess. Uh, but let me pray before we, before we begin, and, and we'll just jump into things. Uh, Father, we uh, thank you for this morning and just your new mercies uh, that, that are seen each and every morning, as your scripture says. We pray uh, for this time that you'd go before us in all things, that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to fill. Uh, Holy Spirit, fill this room. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so as, as Holly mentioned, just last week a brief overview, just kind of went over the size and the scope of pornography. And, and to kind of put it bluntly, every child growing up in America, we've got to face the fact that they are going to see pornography at some point or another. And generally it is it comes to them, they don't go out seeking it. And so uh, that re- with that reality that protection is not enough, that, that we need to be protecting as best we can, but we also need to be preparing, preparing them for when they do see it. And, and just kind of as I've, I've wrestled through that idea of preparation, um, it, it, it kind of, kind of it caused me to think quite a bit um, with how to approach this conversation, because this is honestly the first time I've kind of talked about this. Most of my conversations are with teenagers who have already been exposed or just need to be aware of pornography and just uh, how it damages and hurts. But as far as on the front end, this is kind of my first go at talking to parents about how do we, and I'm in it too. I mean, I've got a six-year-old, a five-year-old, actually just turned seven this week, a seven, five, and a four, and a newborn. And so I'm just walking through it. And what, am, what are we doing as a family, to help prepare our kids for pornography. And as I kind of thought through these questions, you know, I think the easy answer would be here, if you do A, B, and C, or follow this formula, you know, your kids will be better prepared. Uh, but lots of times when we have formulas or systems, they can easily kind of trump the Holy Spirit's work where our, our formula becomes the most important thing. As long as we follow A, B, and C, then our kids will turn out great, or something like that. Um, and so what I want to do this morning is kind of just have a bigger picture of, um, I guess, creating a strong desire, a stronger desire for the Christian worldview as it relates to porn, because in many ways, porn is just a, a, a bad story that's being told that people are buying into. So how do we reframe the entirety of the Christian story, porn included, to tell better stories? And, you know, I'll go through some practical applications as we kind of walk through things, but but what we need to recognize is just because we do certain things and we set up healthy boundaries, we have the right systems in place and whatever, and we have great conversations with our kids that everything is going to turn out well. Uh, there's just no guarantee. We could have the perfect everything and our kids will still make choices. Just as we have made choices over the course of a life to be here, our kids will make choices too. And there's just no guarantee um, that they, at the end of the day, they may, you may have the best of everything going that way and they may still choose to sin. They may still uh, choose to walk away, or the sins of other people may affect them into choosing poorly in the future. So we need to remember that this is far more complex. There's not a silver bullet answer of doing this will ensure safety and protection. We just, we just can't. And so we, we approach it in the same way as the tax collector did in his prayer, you know, just Lord have mercy, beating his chest, you know, help Holy Spirit come, and really relying on that. So um, before we jump in, I kind of want to rec- just kind of have two, two or three bigger ideas. One is um, that porn in many ways or pornography use is really a symptom of a core brokenness, of something wrong here that's manifesting itself out as pornography. Pornography is generally not the core issue. The core issue, honestly, is, is our sin nature, is understanding uh, human nature and things like that. So pornography is just a symptom. And when you, treat a sim- you know, when you treat an illness, do you treat, oh, I've got a runny nose, I've you know, got all these other symptoms? You don't just attack the symptom, you attack the virus. And the virus is more complex than just porn. Porn is just a symptom of something deeper. So as we talk about that, recognize this. Even if you know, porn's not the thing, it all kind of comes down to this core idea and this core uh, of virus. And, and two is, is you know your sons and daughters. You know you know, what works, you know you've had conversations, you know what, what causes them, their rhythms, their routines, things like that. So I'm just going to be sharing some stories and ideas of practical application, what we do in our home, 
you know, at the end of the day, take, take what works. I mean, that's what we've learned as parents. Like, oh, this is a great idea. We've observed wonderful parents. This is a great idea. We want to start doing this. Ooh, <laughs> don't like that idea. We're not doing that. Or we tried that idea. Bad idea. Whatever. You know, I, I'm going to just kind of uh, basically just bring up some ideas and, and for you guys to really wrestle with and think through over the course of the weeks, months, years leading into and, and to, to really uh, you keep learning and growing and rely on the Holy Spirit. So, um, keep that in mind. So we're going to kind of look at, at six different areas this morning. One is, is just the larger picture of awakening, just becoming aware of the issue. So the, the first point will be just awareness of the issue. The next is uh, just kind of a um, protection. How, what are some practical things we can do in our homes to protect pornography from coming in as best we can? Uh, the next would be uh, just honest questions and honest answers. How to, how to develop those and create those in, in the lives of our children. Uh, the next is basically opening the eyes, the, the awareness of the issue of pornography in the lives of children. How to go about doing that. Um, grace and forgiveness and how to you know, handle that when your son or daughter or friends or church members kind of, kind of come to you with just brokenness and sin issues. And the last is just living and telling better stories. Um, living and telling better stories. So first is awakening to the problem. I think yes, last week there was a lot on just maybe some information that you guys were not aware of and the size and scope of pornography. Um, but we need to realize how important this is and the impact it is having on our culture because it is, it is everywhere. It's affecting our churches and it's affecting our homes. And, and you and I, we are all responsible. We are all responsible to affect change in our culture. I remember, has anybody heard of Sophie Scholl? Out of curiosity, she was a German. She was um, a German in the World War II. She was a part of the White Rose Society. And she was uh, in the resistance. She was a university student, I think, at the University of Berlin. And she was lost to history until about the 90s. In the 90s, they found some paperwork of her actual um, interrogation that took place because uh, she was resisting Nazi Germany. And so it was about the resistance. And they actually made a film maybe 10 years ago, a German foreign, foreign, uh, film called Sophie Scholl, and a lot of the dialogue is the actual interrogation dialogue. Really good film. And one time, it, one of the, the scenes, the interrogator asked, why are you doing this? You are young. You are a university student. You, you are a part of the German Reich. Like, why are you fighting this? Why are you resisting this? And, and her answer was simple but good. And she says, I am a Christian, and I am German. Therefore, I am responsible for Germany. And I think that's very good, that, that in the same way, as we look at this pornography thing, that I am a Christian and I'm American, therefore I'm responsible for America. That we have this, this stewardship uh, that we have been entrusted, that, that we were created in, in Genesis bearing the image of God. And I would argue that the image of God is, is more about stewardship and represent, representing God on earth than it is about an identity thing that that we are here to represent God, and so therefore we are responsible for the culture and the world in which we live. And a part of that is the pornography. Um, and when, what's fascinating about this, you know, and when we think about, oh, just the world around us and being responsible for America, I mean, we could spend probably the entire rest of the year in Sunday school about what's wrong with our culture and what to do about it, and we'd probably just barely scratch the surface, Right. You know, it can be a very daunting and depressing thing. And, and through this movie, uh, Sophie Scholl, whenever she was kind of hit with depression and sadness and despair, the film would, would go up and you would see her looking through a window or she was outside at the time and she would look up at the sun and she would see the sun. And it reminded me of that scene in, in Lord of the Rings, I don't know, uh, with Frodo and Sam when they're about ready to give up. In the movie, you see... You see what? The clouds pull away, and, and Sam sees the sun, and he's like, we can do it. And, and G.R. Tolkien writes this about that scene. He says, for like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him. So he's, he's lying down in despair, and like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced his mind, pierced his mind, that in the end, the shadow was a small and passing thing, for there was high beauty forever beyond its reach. That this, this despair, this evil, there's, it's, it's but a shadow. As we approach these things, as we kind of look around with what so much needs to be done, recognizing it is but a shadow and there's forever high beauty beyond 
beyond its reach that the shadow and the evil cannot touch. And I, and I say all this just because, you know, as, as we really get into, into life with one another, as we get into life with our kids and start recognizing the woundedness, we need to recognize that there is high beauty forever beyond the reach. And that's where our aim needs to be. And that's where our focus needs to be on, on the high beauty, i.e. Christ, uh, and the gospel and the Christian story. Um, so uh, just kind of, there's, uh, I didn't find a good transition from this point, so I'm just going to do the old traditional, and next. <laughs> uh, I just didn't have one, sorry. I tried, and I tried, and my wife was just, just say and next. I'm like, I hate that. Um, it's not me, so, and next. Um, you know, a lot of that just as, you know, my hope is, is that just kind of to, to, to paint a picture of, of what good stories can do to ignite imagination in, in your kids. And with that imagination, you know, porn is really, is really just, it's, it's a bad story. It's a bad story about sexuality, so we need to be starting to tell good stories. So be a reader. I've, I, there's a resource list. The resource list is, is primarily about uh, pornography and just, uh, you know, books about pornography and pornography use. Uh, very helpful in that regard, but, but read beyond that. Uh, not just the dangers of pornography, but, but of just good stories. Uh, some of the best stories that have shaped me, um, you know, Les Mis and, and East of Eden, are two books that have done more, probably for the formation of my soul. I mean, we just named our son Trask. If you've read East of Eden, you probably draw that connection. Uh, and our daughter's name's Cosette. Uh, and so uh, the, the books have, have those, those books have done more for me because in a story, we find ourselves connected with other people. In books, we find that connection where I can read about in a theology book, yeah, humanity has fallen and sinful and broken. You know, yes, that's true. But when I follow along Jean Valjean's trail or you know, the Trask family and Samuel Han- you know, all these characters, when I follow along, all of a sudden I'm connecting at a deeper level. And so we need to not only tell our kids about the problem, but we need to invite them into stories. I mean, Jesus told stories. He told parables uh, often to communicate his ideas. We are story-formed, uh, story-formed people that if all we're doing is telling people, you know, making sure our, our kids know the right answers, we're doing them a disservice. It's not just data transfer. It's data transfer and more. It's inviting them into an experiential learning uh, environment. Um, you know, you know, and one of these I think about in Scripture, you have the story of David and Bathsheba. And, you know, in, in, in Exodus, we have, do not commit adultery. It's like, here's a data transfer. Here's information. Don't do this. Uh, but then we have, you know, it, 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 we have the story of David and Bathsheba. It's a narrative. And then you have the poetry of what David is wrestling and going through. It cements those ideas far more than just, you know, in Exodus, one of the commandments, don't do this. While that's important, and we must not lose sight of that, when we have a narrative to go along with that, it makes it far more impactful. Here's a real people with real, you know, real struggles and real issues, and here's you know, the psalms that go along with, with the struggle that was going on in his heart, his crying out, that these are raw, real things. It's not just don't do this uh, type of a thing. And, um, so we have... Uh, and I say all this because, again, porn is like a bad story. It shows too little of what intimacy in life is about. The Pope, uh, John Paul II, had a really good quote. He's got a, he's got a few fabulous things uh, to say about sexuality and, and, and pornography. And he said, um, there is no dignity where the human dimension is eliminated from the person. So there's no dignity when we disregard the humanness of a person. He goes, in short, the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much of the person, but that it shows too little. Because you're, you're taking away the human dimension. You're just having something on a screen. And again, pornography is just a bad story. And so if it's a bad story, we need to be telling better stories. And as Christians, we ought to be telling the best stories. Because we have the story that makes sense of the whole world. It makes sense of all the, the wounds and wonders. We have the great story. And so we ought to be able to, to share that and talk about wonders, things with our children. Um, you know, one of the ways that kind of, well, what is a good story, or how do we know a good story? One of my friends, or faculty member and friend of mine at Summit Semester, uh, Stephen Garber, he, he said about six months ago, and I haven't stopped thinking about this question. It's a very big question, so I'll say it, and you'll probably need to, if I've, I've been chewing on it for six months, and I'm sure it'll probably be another 20 years before I fully, you know, come to the conclusion. Um, but, but as I think of good stories, he, he says, 
Can you collectively sing songs shaped by the truest truths in a language the whole universe can understand? <laughs> I'll say it again. <laughs> Based on the face, it's like, <laughs> uh, can you sing songs shaped by the truest truths in a language the whole universe can understand? So can you sing? Can your life sing songs that are shaped by the, the truest of truths, which is found in the scriptures, but in a language that every single person in the world can understand, not just Christian ease, not just you know, you know, these words that we throw around in Christian circles that if you were to talk about it in New York City, people wouldn't understand at all, but, but language that everybody understands because it's everybody's language because we all come from the same creator in the same place. So can you sing songs shaped by the truest truths in the language the whole universe can understand? Um, I'll come back to that idea because it's, it's a big one. Um, you know, and a lot of this may be a, a new ideas and new things uh, to many of you, and that's great. You know, for, for me, it was, it's, it's kind of been a slow, probably 10-year process where about 10 years ago I read a book, and five years ago I read another, and it just kind of slowly started picking up as, but I started connecting thoughts that I'd had in college and then in grad school about these ideas that I didn't know were connected and still I started thinking about these things in different contexts. And so as these things are, are coming, take a lot time to learn, to grow. Uh, take time to learn about good stories and, and how to tell them and live them. Learn with your kids. You know, what I tell lots of times with, with new parents, I remember when I walked out of the, the hospital with Raffrey, I was like, there's no instruction manual. <laughs> what am I going to do here? And, uh, and you know, and, and what I slowly came to realize was, you know, my kids grow with me. <laughs> uh, will I ever, would I have ever been ready to have kids? <laughs> no, I was never be ready to be married, but I did. And my wife and I, we grew together. You grow with your kids, and, and kind of in the same way, a lot of these things that are being formed in our lives, we're growing with them. We're learning through the hard knocks of, like, oh, that was a bad idea. Lord, have mercy, Raffrey or Cosi Briar, forgive me. Uh, Daddy sinned. Uh, you know, learning with them, it takes time. And that's why in Scripture we have a lot of the illustrations are fruit trees. Our fruit trees. My dad's a fruit farmer in California. He farms uh, almonds, walnuts, uh, pistachios, and does nuts, and, and he does some other tomatoes and, and whatnot. But, you know, pistachios, for example, take about eight years to yield any fruit. So you have to plant them, and then year after year, water, prune, get ready, and then eight years later, they're finally producing fruit. But when you look at the Scriptures, when you look at the scriptures, the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, it's described as a fruit. Fruit doesn't instantly appear. Fruit takes time. And when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit, all of them encompassed into one. All these things growing, but it's a fruit tree. And so, like any fruit tree, it takes time. There's seasons of pruning. There's seasons of you know, watering. There's seasons of blossoming. There's seasons of bees you know, pollinating. There's, just have seasons and cycles, but you're learning and growing. And then over a course of a life, you have a big, robust, healthy tree because of the daily routine of living these things out. And uh, there was a story about this in the 1500s where this marble tombstone was split in half by an oak tree. And so this guy inquired, like, what happened? He goes, well, apparently this guy in the 1500s had died, and there was an acorn that was in his coffin. And slowly over the course of time, this acorn grew into a maple tree, or an oak tree, excuse me, that split a marble tombstone. And if you think about that acorn tree on the ground, and you had this marble tombstone, you know, if you just had the acorn and a tombstone, you know, you drop the tombstone on it, you know, the, the acorn would be powder. But over the course of seasons and weather and life, that acorn grew into a tree that could split a marble tombstone. And in many ways, our sanctification, our our holiness, our, our growth as Christians works in that same way. It takes time. Lean in. It's the daily grind that does these things. You know, I, there's a Mumford and Sons. Uh, I'll probably quote them a few times just because I've been on a Mumford and Sons kick for about, I don't know, a long time. Uh, since 2009, I think. Uh, but the Sigh No More album, there's a song, Awake My Soul. And in it, there's a line that says, where you invest your love, you invest your life. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. You know, and so, you know, as parents, as we're training kids, what do you love? Not what do you say you love, but what do you love? And that matters. There's, there's a Russian foreign film. I haven't seen it, but I know the synopsis. 
kind of scared of watching a Russian foreign film. I don't know why, but it just kind of, it's slowly on, like, on my top ten, but it stays there, and it doesn't get to number one ever. Other movies trump it, but it's called, it came out, I think, the late 70s, early 80s, which is another thing that's kind of scary. It's, it's like Back to the Future and the Karate Kid or nothing from that generation, but, um, but it's called The Stalker. Um, but the, the premise is, which makes it even worse, a Russian film in the 80s called The Stalker. Um, but it's, it's about this room that, has, uh, that basically reveals your desires. And so people are looking for it, striving after it, coming after it. And what happens is they kind of get face-to-face with the room. They want to find it. But then they're actually face-to-face with the reality of this room will reveal my desires. Not what I think my desires ought to be, but what my desires are truly and people get scared before they actually walk into the threshold because it actually reveals what they truly desire. Not what they think they ought to or should desire, but what they do. Um, it, you know, and it kind of, it's, it's just a very penetrating idea to think about and reflect on when we have time to. It's much like in John 1 when, when the John the Baptist is with Jesus, or no, disciples are with John the Baptist and Jesus comes walking by and John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God. You know, and... and, and you know, the disciples, you know, like uh, John the Baptist, like, well, see, John the Baptist, this is the Lamb of God. I'm, I'm following him. And they start walking, and Jesus turns around, and, he's, and he asks them a very, very penetrating question. He asks them, what do you want? What do you want? Yeah, and, and his disciples, you know, they respond, where are you staying? Basically, I want to be with you. Where are you at? I'm gonna, I'm, I, that's where I want to be. And Jesus responds, come and see. So come and live with me. But he asks a question of desires. What do you want? Not what do you know or who do you say. He does ask those questions. But the what do you want is a very important question to, to, to wrestle through. And this can be seen in the home through your rhythms, through your routines, and how you order and function your days. Um, you know, in the evenings, our evening routine has morphed over the course of the last seven years. Uh, where, you know, it started off as just as any good Christian parent, praying for your kids before sleep, and that's, and that's great. We still do every night. And, um, but I remember about a year and a half into our you know, first son, I was over at my mentor's house, and we were having dinner, and their kids went to bed, and, and they sang Amazing Grace at nighttime before bed. And my wife went, oh, we like that. And so we decided, well, let's, let's sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. So we sing the first verse and the chorus of Great is Thy Faithfulness with our kids every night. And then about... Three years ago, with the job I have at Summit Semester, we, every night after dinner, we lead the students in a time of confession, that they have just this time to reflect on their day, think about their things, and reflect and confess their sins. And, and, and at the same time, we started going to New Life downtown, and, and then we, my wife and I were like, you know, we need to have a time of confession as a family. And so each night before bed, we have a, you know, a silent time of confession, and then we pray the same pray we prayer. Uh, the same prayer we pray uh, on Sunday mornings. We pray with our kids every night. And then we sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And then we do this. And, and, it, and, I, and the prayer I pray at night is slowly morphed into like the same prayer. But I see that same prayer that, you know, that the Lord would continue to enlarge our ki- the, his heart in our kids' minds, that they would never know, or in their hearts, that they would never know a day that they wouldn't love him, serve him, and worship him. And I see that prayer even though there are nights like, I don't even remember if I prayed it, knowing I did just because it's every night, uh, but I don't feel it. But I, but I also see it as the persistent widow, just continually asking of this. Even when my heart's maybe not there or my mind's not fully engaged, still asking the Lord because he, he transcends all these things. And so um, I say that, that, that you can have, you know, your rhythms and your routines communicate a lot about what you love. And again, what you love is what's going to be the better story or is going to be the story that they grow up in, the story. And as parents, you know, we can say all the right things and tell our kids to know the right things, but if we're not living it and we're not modeling it, you know, there's going to be other narratives that are going to win out because they're going to see a disconnect. And so, um, so that's, a, that's a big section, I know. And, and, and next, uh, but the next section is, is kind of just some practical application, some practical things about... about uh, things to prepare for when it comes to protecting and, and pornography use. One, I have a list of, I think, five software ideas. One is, is to be aware of is filters um, for protecting your home. So I know this is kind of a rough transition, but filters um, are basically, you know, you take like a coffee filter is probably the best example. You have the grounds that go in the coffee filter, and then it kind of keeps the coffee grounds from going in, and you have the delicious coffee. But 
And so filters are kind of the same way where you set up what the, what the filter is and anything on the internet, whatever you want to block, blocks from actually getting onto the computer. There will be something like this website has been blocked by your internet provider or by your, you know, whoever operates the software. So filters are very good. I think if you have kids that are younger that are just doing homework on the computer, just exploring things, filters are very good. But, but like coffee filters, coffee grounds sometimes make it into the coffee, right? <laughs> and the same thing with filters. Computer filters are not a safe fix-all. Everything is blocked. There's always ways around it. And so if you have a teenager, I think accountability is the better option. But filters are, are helpful and good. But you know, it's like that scene from Jurassic Park, the first one, you know, where the raptors are continually running into the electric fence. If you guys know what I'm talking about, the raptors continue. There's an electric fence that keeps the raptors in, and they keep headbutting against it, and the doctor grants, like, what are they doing? Are they just dumb animals, like, like shock? And, uh, you know, and basically said, no, they're looking for weaknesses in the chain. They're looking for weaknesses in the fence. Filters for, for a porn user or somebody who's viewing or wanting to view porn, filters are kind of like an electric fence where, ooh, this website doesn't work. Ooh, this website doesn't work. Ooh, this website doesn't work. This website, this, this domain, this domain, this domain, this domain. Then all of a sudden, like, ooh, this one does. And they shoot out, and they can view it without anybody even knowing, and, they, and as parents, you think that there's safety because you have a filter. And so filters are, are, are helpful if people are just on the computer not wanting to come across it, but if somebody's using, filters can be uh, ineffective uh, in that regard. So the second thing, so we have filters, and those are good, is accountability, and filter, a good filter, sorry, are Open DNS, which is on there, uh, Covenant Eyes, Net Nanny, Safe Eyes. Do research. Just look up internet filters. Read about it. There's blogs. There's tech stuff. There's lots of good information. Um, accountability software is is what I use um, on my computers and all my devices. Uh, but accountability software is basically I have free reign to go anywhere on the internet, but the accountability software records every single website I've been to. And then at the end of the week, sends it to a person of my choosing who's my boss at work at Summit Ministries. And so uh, he gets a report every week of everywhere I go on my phone, everywhere I go on my computer. Uh, my wife's computer has the same setup. Uh, you know, just everywhere we go on the internet, he gets a report of. And if there's anything, I remember one time I was, we had a, a Summit alumni, he wrote a book, she wrote a book, I think it was called Sex Talks or something like that. It was this, maybe five or six years ago. And so I, started, started, so I wanted to do research on, on it. And, and, some, and even as I'm doing like the pornography research, there's sometimes he'll you know, come up like, what's this about? Or he'll come and say, hey, you, you need chat. Or, you know, just something flagged. And, and so accountability is good if you have a person that wants to be held accountable and be a person on the other end who will hold accountable, who will hold that person accountable. It needs to be a mutual, uh, a mutual you know, relationship. Um, Covenant Eyes, I think, has the best software for accountability. Triple X Church does it as well. Um, uh, Our Tribe has something that's, that's a, a really cool app. Uh, but peers and friendships, uh, those things, um, you know, having peers and friends that you can talk about these things and hold each other accountable, have good, healthy conversations. Meal groups can be a good resource for this, for friendships and people being aware. Mentoring relationships. But accountability goes beyond the software. It goes... The software kind of pushes people to enable real conversations with one another about it. So you're not kind of hiding it or keeping it in the dark, but you're actually having conversations about pornography. Um, the last thing I want to kind of look at is it's just devices. Uh, that <laughs> Anything that connects to your internet can stream pornography. If you have that through your, your brain, you'll be okay. So if there's an Xbox or a Wii or a mobile phone or a tablet or a TV or a DVD or a Blu-ray player that has access to, like, Netflix, it probably has access to the Internet, which has access to pornography. Uh, a lot of devices do. Many times parents are just unaware of it. So, so know what devices your son or daughter or, or what, what, what are in your home. And look it up on Google. Like, I've got, you know, you know we've got a... Um, you an Apple TV and kind of like, okay, what parental restrictions need to be put on the Apple TV? You know, just looking it up on the iPhones, uh, you know, what restrictions, how do I put it? iPhone has in itself its own kind of filter, which is great. Um, and then it also has um, the inability to install apps so that your, your sons and daughters can't install apps on their phones without your entering a password first. 
because apps, you can have apps that have internet browsers that have full reign of the internet. And so know the devices you're buying, buying your sons and daughters. And I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say, say something. Uh, it's, eh, eh, I'm just going to say it because I, I believe it and I think it's true. But if I'm wrong, you can push back, feel free. Uh, but I, you know, just as I've, I've talked to teenagers and as I've read and researched, I don't think there's any business that a teenager needs to have a smartphone. Whether they want a smartphone is, is something else. But I don't see any need for it because the needs for teenagers are what, you know, talking, texting, and GPS. All of three of those things can be done without smartphones. And smartphones can be incredibly dangerous, not just from the social uh, media perspective, which there's lots of research on how it's damaging their ability to communicate with each other and adults, but even from the pornography uh, standpoint. I mean, it's, it is so easy to get on a mobile phone. Um, it's almost like, you know, back in the day, if you, your parents had, you know, if you, you had a child who loved to drink and party and you had an open liquor cabinet without any keys and you keep it fully stocked and you never check to see if it was ever depleted, you know, having a mobile phone with, with A, without restrictions on the smartphone is the same basic idea. It just lends itself to these things. And there's so many different apps out there that have so many different access to, to predators, to um, uh, the internet, to browsing. I mean, it, if a child knows his way around and they probably know more about technology uh, than, than you do, or they will, um, they will be able to navigate around it. And if they're not able to handle that responsibility, they will make poor choices. And I mean, and so I, I, I just don't think it's, it's a wise thing. It's, it's something we're not doing with our kids. Uh, they, 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 won't, um, they won't have smartphones, and that may make an enemy out of me, but uh, I can live with that. Uh, and these are all good and helpful things. These are all helpful things, but it, it, it can't negate, it can't cause you to disengage it can't cause you to disengage from a conversation. I had a student uh, of ours who a couple years ago um, said he'd been viewing pornography for a couple years, and, and he said, I said, you, you need to talk to your parents. You need to talk to them about it. And, and what they said, um, what he said was, I, I want to, but my, dad, um, but my dad told me two years ago that he was monitoring everything on the Internet. Uh, and then in that moment, uh, he's like, about a week or a month later, I viewed pornography, and I was fully expecting my dad to come in and talk to me. In fact, I wanted him to because there was something I wanted to begin working through, and his dad never did, and his dad never did. And then it kind of led to this tighter cycle. And, and, what, and so he's also, now I'm faced with this position. Either A, my dad lied to me about monitoring the Internet, or B, he knows and is not talking to me. Um, and so we need to not only set these things up, we need to tell them about it, and we need to follow up, follow up with it uh, as well. And so we need to do all those things. And I've had, you know, um, and the number one, uh, according, I read an article the other day, and the number one reason uh, parents uh, stay silent on wanting to talk to their kids or following it up is just kind of a false sense of security. And these protections and these filters can create that is a false sense of security. And that's the main reason people, people don't talk to their kids about pornography. And if your kids are, are, are in public school or in constant social settings with their peers, you may need to have conversations sooner than later. Because at the end of the day, you can't monitor other kids. You don't know what they've been exposed to. You don't know what they're sharing. I mean, when I shared last week, I, I, I shared pornography with three or four or five of my friends in the fourth grade at 10 years old. And this was before mobile devices and the easy access. I mean, this was, you know, cut out pictures of my grandpa's magazines. Uh, so many parents and many parents around don't have the same oversight and standard that you will. And so you need to, especially if they go into public school and especially if they engage in social settings with lots of other kids around their own age, initiating that conversation a lot sooner than you probably want to. Um, and so... Um, so yeah, and with that, it's just kind of the idea of, of honest questions and, and honest answers. Just initiating an ongoing conversation about pornography and sex. Uh, it'll be hard and it'll be difficult. Uh, there's good resources in there about how to navigate those, those conversations. You can probably see from the title, um, you know, 30 Days of Sex Talks for 3 to 7-year-olds. There's uh, how to talk to your kids about pornography, good pictures, bad pictures. I'll draw back on that one in a, in a bit. But good things to helpful, and there's lots of good resources you know, and use resources almost as a spider web. Like when I read a really good book, 
I look at the footnotes and endnotes and I read those. I'm like, oh, this book that I loved used this book a lot. This book must be really good too. And it becomes on the short list. And it kind of just creates, or, or I'm reading you know, blogs on, say, pornography or something, and all of a sudden they keep using this same resource. Like, ooh, for some reason I'm unaware of this, but I keep coming across the same ministry or the same place doing the same research. I'm going to jump and start exploring. So use it as almost a spiderweb or a ripple effect just in general, not only in the porn, but just in life as you're reading good things. Um, you know, but, but it'll be hard, it'll be difficult, but lean in and don't shy away. You know, again, that idea of walking with them, learning with them is important. You know, when they have questions about this or other things, honor their questions. Honor their questions and their honest thoughts. Give them the freedom and the space to learn how to ask their questions. Uh, and then learn with them. You know, my, my son, my oldest son, we went to the Nature and Science Museum in Denver uh, two weeks ago. We spent the whole day there. The kids just fascinated with dinosaurs, like most boys, you know, who are six, seven years old are. And I just don't, <laughs> I don't give a rip about dinosaurs at all. Um, you know, but then he, but he's, he's looking at these pictures, and he's very logical, he's very, you know, logic smart, and he's drawing connections. And, and all of a sudden, with the, the conversation about dinosaurs, is becoming some atheistic evolutionary conversations. And so all of a sudden, like, ah, I need to, you know, I can't ignore, I want him to be passionate, and I want him to follow his passions. This is something I'm not very privy or understanding, but I'm going to start reading and learning. How do I navigate these questions from, from a biblical perspective, the old earth position, a young earth position, all of these positions? And so I'm reading just tons of stuff that I don't enjoy because my son has honest questions and I want to give him honest answers and wrestle through it with him um, and give him the freedom and the space instead of saying, ah, dad doesn't know, don't worry about that now. That, that doesn't honor the questions that he has. That doesn't mean I always have an answer. It's, I ask him hard questions all the time and, and make, make him answer the questions and he gets mad. He's like, that's, I, that's a hard question, I don't know how to answer it. And one time he asked me a hard question and uh, and I told him, I was like, man, that's a good question. That's really hard. I have to think about it. And he goes, Dad, you make me answer hard questions all the time. You answer this one. <laughs> and, uh, it was tongue-in-cheek, but serious. But, uh, you know, and I was like, you're right. You know, let's, let's, here's how I'd answer it now, but, but let me think about it, and I'll get back to you. And I got back, and we had a great conversation, as much as a six- and a seven-year-old you know, six conversation can have. You know, but when you're having these conversations, ask open-ended questions. You know, ask open-ended questions. You know, how did that make you feel? Why did you think that? Instead of, uh, did you like the movie? Yes. <laughs> how was your day? Good. You know, ask questions. Well, well, why was it good? What about it made it good? Was there anything in the day that was difficult? Why was that the case? And it creates a larger conversation and a place where you can, again, and these things are all foundational pieces as it connects to the porn conversation. These things are all interconnected. It's not... We're not isolated. It's not a, you know, just this box, this box. We are, you know, we're, we're, we're far more complex than just the systematized approach. Um, you know, and, and so, yep. Good. And, and what read recently this week is, is when parents don't have these conversations, when they fail to warn their kids, uh, what they found, and this was from uh, Protect Young Minds, is that one thing happens, they have extreme shock when they see pornography. If this conversation hasn't happened, they have extreme shock because they have no idea what they're seeing. They have no idea. Uh, they wonder if their parents even would know what this is. Uh, and many kids will see something that's more violent. It's not softcore. It's not, you know, Victoria's Secrets or swimsuit edition. It's, it, you know, violent, hardcore stuff. Um, and there's, there's a sense of fear. They sense what they are seeing is bad and afraid, and they'll get in trouble. There's shame that's connected with it because they sense that it's bad, but they want to see more. It's kind of, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever had that tension where maybe it's like you, you see something that's, that's gross, like, uh, you know, I don't know, it's like, ew, you know, just kind of over there, and then you're like, but, but I'm drawn to looking again, I don't know why, but, or a smell, or I, I don't, maybe I'm just weird. Um, but it says it's a normal biological response, so maybe if you don't, you're weird. No, I don't know. Uh, anyways, uh, before I digress and say more than I need to, um, the inability to verbalize. They want to tell someone, but they don't have the words to express it. They don't understand it. And loneliness. If they don't know how to say it, they don't know how to talk about it, that's going to cause loneliness to creep in. But the benefits of talking early are, one, is, is experience less shock. Like, oh, my parents have mentioned this. I'm aware of this. I may not understand it, 
But this is not a new concept when the parents invite it and bring it in. They feel more trust, you know, they, especially in the parents. Oh, my parents said that this would happen. And they're like, oh, my parents actually know what they're talking about. Go figure. Um, they have more confidence. They know how to use, you know, as you develop in good pictures, bad pictures has a great thing about how to develop, how to give practical tools. If your kids see porn on a computer, give them practical tools on what to do, why it's bad, and responding to it. And it, it helps them use their thinking brain to look away, to learn how to, Ugh, this is not good, shut it, go talk to my mom and dad. Uh, it, it helps them get past the emotional, but to be able to, to get to the logical, uh, to put it down. They can safely re- report their experience. They know the word pornography, and they know they won't be in trouble, so they can report it to their parents and talk about it. And finally, they, they feel connected. They know what to say and who to tell, and they don't feel alone um, when they talk about it. So, so those things, there's just so much benefit in telling them beforehand rather than after. Uh, the next is, is just opening the eyes, uh, just the awareness of, of the effects of, of pornography use and of the user and those involved in the production. Just you know, as, at an age-appropriate time, making it aware, like, this, this hurts people. You know, not only the person using, but real people are being hurt by this. And, and bring them into that, that this is not just something on your computer that doesn't hurt people. And again, as they become more older, show connections as you're learning and growing and understanding, showing connections, how it hurts lots of people. I mean, it, it not only hurts the people in production, but if they're using, it hurts their relationships with their friends. It hurts their relationships with their siblings, with their parents, with, every, with their school, with everything. It hurts, it hurts it all, and bring that uh, awareness there. Again, uh, good pictures, bad pictures is one that I, I really, uh, is, is really good and helpful in, in starting that conversation with, with younger kids. That was one that I highly recommend. Um, so, and then, uh, next is, is being, being ready to receive, um, to kind of, to quote another uh, Mumford uh, song, and uh, the song, Roll, Roll Away Your Stone, um, I think it's really just a powerful image that he, he brings in as he's writing this. It says, in, uh, it seems that all my bridges have been burned. You know, all of my bridges. You know, the, I don't know if you've ever been in a spot in your life where it feels like every avenue, you have nowhere to go, that all your bridges have been burned. But you say, this is how this grace thing works. It's not the long walk home that'll change this heart, but the welcome I receive with every start. You know, that, that they're, they're, your child may, may view pornography. They may have already. And you may be having this conversation and there may be brokenness and sadness. How you respond in that moment matters immensely. When your son or daughter, or anybody for that matter, shares something at a broken, weeping, heartfelt letter, how you respond matters. Extending grace, forgiveness, weeping with, praying for, is vitally important, is vitally important. You know, you have, you have the opportunity to express Christ-like forgiveness and grace and compassion to them in a way that touches the heart and not just the head. I've had a, you know, when I was growing up, I had some very serious anger issues. I mean, I was, I was just an angry child, um, which I can go into the complexity of why later, but I had anger issues. Um, as a toddler, you know, I'd have these temper tantrums, like all toddlers do, only I never grew out of them. I, they just continued, and as I got older, it became more violent and crazy. Uh, you know, going on to my family, stopped calling them tantrums because it's a- awkward when you have a 10-year-old throwing a tantrum. So they started calling them red outs so they could talk about it in public. Um, so I'd have these red outs. And I remember one time when I was 15, my brothers loved to see me have a red out because, I mean, I would go, if you think of a, a, a two- or three-year-old toddler tantrum, Imagine that in a 15-year-old boy, you know, and that's what it was. I mean, I would go berserk, face red, screaming, crying, just, <laughs> uh, just embarrassed to talk about it, but it's true. It's my story. Uh, and, and go nuts, and my brothers love to see this. So like any good brother, they knew which buttons to push, and they would constantly try to get me to get to that level. And one, one evening they did, and they, and they pushed me, and I was going berserk and just screaming, and they're just laughing their heads off. And my mom comes out of the other room to kind of see what's going on. She sees me, and she's like trying not to laugh. She starts laughing, and then that just kind of it just took me to another level. I didn't know I existed, like nuclear level. And then she's like, go to your room, calm down. And so as I was going to my room, I hit the wall, and 
walked to my room, counted to like a thousand to kind of come back down. And as I came out, I realized where I hit the wall, I put a hole in the wall. And I was like, oh, and that kind of sobered me up from my anger pretty quick. Um, and told my mom, and she saw him. She was like, she, she had a red out and sent me to my room and said, you know, wait for your dad to get home, <laughs> which is like the worst words in the world for a 15-year-old. And so I hear my dad, uh, I hear his diesel truck, he's a farmer, so he's got this loud diesel ram just through the, through the driveway. I'm like, oh, I'm dead. I'm never going to be able to drive, never going to be able to date. My life is over. You know, I'm just thinking the worst in everything. You know, and I hear him talking to my mom, and you know, it's like the minutes are turning into years. Like, it's just taking forever. Um, and he's slowly walking to my room, and he sits down in the bed next to me. And, you know, the words he said, cha- it, it literally changed my life. He said, Dustin, I haven't said this, but I'm really proud of you. <laughs> so I'm like, what? Did you see, did you see that, that hole in the wall? <laughs> you know? And he's like, you haven't had one of these red outs in three or four months, and you've been making great progress. You know, and I haven't told you I'm proud of you. And, and he said, don't let tonight cause you to fall back into it, but learn from this. Don't go back to the way you were, but, but move past it. And, and he said, your mother and I are going to keep this hole there as a reminder to keep you from... My mom didn't like that idea. Uh, especially because it was like entryway and our hallway to go to the bedrooms. It's like, it was right there. Anybody that walked in the house would see this hole above like the light switch. Um, just off center of the light switch. And so but he said, we're going to leave it up there as a reminder for you not to fall back into the way that you were, but to continue to press on and press in. You know, and, and he, had, and as I've kind of reflected on the story, one is I, I kind of, I, I told him, like, that's, that, that conversation changed my life. It was the last red out I ever had. And so the grace and forgiveness that I was shown in that moment changed my life. And he's like, I said, what? <laughs> like, I don't, he, he has no recollection of the, 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 the context of the conversation. But he was also coming, he's been a recovering alcoholic. He's been sober for my whole life. He's my stepdad. He married my mom when I was four. Uh, but he's been sober for my whole life. Anyways, he was coming back from an AA meeting. And it, it, you know, just as I thought about that, just the, the people who are alcoholics that, that screw up after you know, a year or two years, how we respond when they're broken and ready to start again. It's the grace that, to receive and, and to begin that journey again. So how we respond to our kids and to people just in our church community matters. It matters. Um, so the last bit... Um, all right, we're running shortly out of time. Um, it's just, uh, we're running quite out of time. Um, it's just the, the idea, I'll try to synthesize it as quick as I can so we can have a few minutes for questions. Um, it's just the, uh, kind of going back to that living and better, telling better stories and just that day-to-day reality. This is, you know, it, it's not a silver bullet, um, but it causes us to lean into the Holy Spirit, study the scriptures, be in prayer. Um, Stephen Garber, he, he said this, uh, and it's kind of how, how we, as a family, look at it. In this world full of wonders and wounds, we never arrive. Days become nights, weeks become months, years become a life. And along the way, for everyone everywhere, there are disappointments, there is suffering, there are heartaches, even as there are days of blue sky sunshine, honest smiles, full of surprising graces, and signposts of the world we are uh, signposts of the world we are all longing to someday be. The challenge is to keep on keeping on, deepening our loves over time, prizing things that matter, learning to see and hear and feel what is real, true, and right, and of course, necessarily letting go of that which isn't worth loving doesn't really matter, because in the end, simply said, it isn't real, it isn't true, it isn't right. You know, as, you know, as I mentioned earlier, are you singing songs shaped by the truest truths in a language the universe can understand? These are the Kind of, like I've mentioned that question to my kids, I'm like, what? Um, but these are kind of the, the framework of kind of conversations of longing and desire that we keep in the forefront. I had a proud dad moment in December where we're kind of purging all of our kids' toys before the grandma and grandpa Christmas rush. Um, and so <laughs> I think we bought our kids one present. They still had more than what we got rid of. Um, but anyways, you know, my daughter, she has a handful of dolls, and, and she's like, I'm going to get rid of Polly. And I was like, oh, you're getting rid of Polly? That's great. And, you know, yeah, because we gave everything to Ark and Goodwill. And, and she's like, yeah. 
she's really arguing, and she gets in a lot of fights with Baby June and Penelope, two other dolls at our house. Uh, she gets in fights and arguments with them all the time, and she's just been longing for a new home. You know, and this is my five-year-old, and this was like her saying that was kind of the uh, second proudest moment as a dad, and, it, and I can post it on Facebook as, as we do when proud or funny kids things say. But what was fascinating was two things. Like for me, it wasn't that my daughter wanted to give away a doll. Like, that's cool and that's great and she'll learn how to give. That's kind of more of a, uh, you know, but, but it was the idea that something was broken. She understood the brokenness of the relationship with her dolls and the other dolls, but that her doll was longing for something greater and more important. And she was getting, starting to come alive to the language that we have been using over the course of the last three, four, five years on just the day-to-day living, the day-to-day conversations, the day-to-day interactions are slowly kind of... And that's how the Holy Spirit works. That's how the fruit of the Spirit works. It's the day-to-day, the choices you make today. You know, you know it's, it's kind of like that phrase, um, sow a, so a thought, reap a behavior. <laughs> uh, sow a behavior, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of that, just the, the day-to-day uh, reality. And so, uh, again, kind of coming back to, we just need to learn to, to, to live and tell better stories about sexuality and love and, um, and just our lives. I uh, want to end this on one thing that the Pope, uh, that the Pope said, and, and it's been a phrase that I read five years ago and haven't, haven't, again, I've got a lot of these things that I just haven't been able to shake and that's a good thing, I think. It drives my wife nuts. She's like, are you OCD about these things? Maybe. Uh, but the Pope said, the church imposes nothing. She only proposes. The church imposes nothing. She only proposes. And I, you know, I, understanding Catholic theology, we could probably say Christianity imposes nothing. She only proposes. And when I read that, it really caused me to think, how am I viewing my Christian faith? And how am I living it out? Is it a list of impositions and no's? Or is it a proposal as when I propose to my wife, I'm saying, hey, together, as a life together, this is going to be much grander, more beautiful and wonderful. Doesn't mean there's not going to be rocky roads and difficult times, but I'm proposing something better. Are we framing the Christian worldview in our homes that that is more of a proposal rather than a list of no's, do's, and don'ts, and behavioralistic approach. He goes on to say um, that for every no in Scripture, there's an immeasurably greater yes. That if there is a no, that no is there for a reason because there's a greater yes being offered. And again, I'm just, you know, I know a lot of these are probably complex or ideas maybe you haven't. And so my hope is that maybe you plant a bug or a seed to begin a journey, to begin a conversation, or just to reflect, and even reflect in the weeks, months, years to go, just as you, that this porn issue is not just a, it's, it's, sorry, it's a symptom of something deeper going on, and and our kids are getting stories left and right from, from the world around us, but can we begin to learn to tell better stories? Because if we tell better stories, the beauty of the gospel went out, and um, yeah, uh, what time are we at? Yeah, I'll end it there, I had another good illustration, I've got so, um, thank you. Uh, I know this is a, a big topic, but any, any questions? We've got about five minutes, and, and I, I can hang out for as long uh, as, as needed for anybody who just has follow-up questions. But any questions?